Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. And what I want to do is I want to tell you the story of what happened fleshed out a bit. Then we'll get into the text and I'll unpack it. So you remember we, um, we've just been through Acts 2. That's deep for you today. Acts 3, we've just been through Acts 2. Let's just close in prayer on a high note. And in Acts 2, we had Peter preach the first Christian sermon after the coming of the Holy Spirit. We saw what the early church was like as we looked at the content and the character and the consequences. And now we come into chapter 3. And as you look at chapter 3, what you're going to see is a healing of a, a lame beggar. But put yourself in the context of, of the time. Put yourself in Jerusalem. So imagine you're standing in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, roughly, and, and you're right by the temple. And you're right by the, the beautiful gate. It's called Beautiful Gate or the Gate Beautiful. And what that was was a, a 75-foot-tall, 60-foot-wide gate made of solid brass covered in pure gold. It was a marvel. It said, uh, Josephus tells us in, in his uh, histories that it took 20 men to open and close the gate. It was so massive. So we're standing by this gate, the main entrance to the temple, at about 3 o'clock, the hour of prayer in the afternoon, and, and we look to our side, and it's, it's a warm day, it's the afternoon in the, in the desert region, we, we look to the side and we see a, a man by the gate, laying there, a layman, a, a crippled beggar. And people, the multitudes are coming in for the hour of the prayer. They prayed several times a day, this was the afternoon prayer, and some would throw him some money, was an obligation of God-fearing Jews to give, give alms to the poor. And then we see a, a couple men walking up to him. And as they approach him, they, he, he says, you know, can, can you give me some money, guys? And they say, one of the men speaks up, he's a, a rough-looking man. He says, look at me. And the man looks up at him. And he says, silver and gold I don't have, but this I have for you. The name of Jesus Stand up and walk. And he reaches out his hand, and he takes the lame beggar's right hand, and he helps him up. And this beggar, you know, stands a little bit unsteadily, not sure what's going on, but he realizes his legs that have never worked before for 40-plus years now work. No longer does he have to be carried to this place by his friends or his family members to beg throughout the day in a hopeless, helpless state. His legs work. And he stands... And he walks, and he jumps, and he starts running around, praising God, follows Peter and John, these two men, into the temple for the hour of prayer. And everyone is looking at him because everybody knows this guy. He's been laying there for decades in the same spot by the gate. Beautiful. That's Acts 3, verse 1 through 10. Let me read it to you as God uh, gave it to us. Then we'll unpack it. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, who they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us! And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. 
And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. So you come to a text like this and you ask yourself an obvious question. Why did God put it there? Why did God heal this man through Peter? And even more importantly, why did he include this event in Scripture for all time? You know, and the, well, it's a pretty cool story. doesn't really wash, does it? I mean, God's not going to put in a, a story in his inspired word of Peter walking up to a high school athlete who runs a 10-200 yard dash, and Peter says, run below 10 seconds, and the kid runs a 989. I mean, how awesome is that? That's, a, that's not such a great story, but a guy... Lame from birth, born lame, never walked, healed. So what do you do with that? Are you just kind of like, oh, cool? Um, what does this have to do with me? I'm not lame. Um, I've never actually walked by a lame person. You ever try that? You, you walk down the street and you see a, a lame beggar, you know, a, a, a homeless person whose legs don't work. You just try it. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. Oops. You ever pulled that one off? So what is this, what's this doing here? I think it's here for a bunch of reasons. But one struck me this week. The one that struck me is uh, he, where the He's Like Me title comes from. I think in part that we are given this story to remind us of who we are and who we were. Look at it this way. The man was born lame. When you go on to verse, um, into chapter 4, you'll see that he was over 40 years old. So from the day he was born, the day he came out of his mother's womb, till this present moment, he has never had the ability to move his legs. He was unable to care for himself. He was helpless and hopeless. And put it in the kind this is not 21st century America with, with medical care like we have. This is a land without running water. They had no plumbing. So think about, this man would have to be carried, he didn't roll in a wheelchair, he would be carried and laid in the filthy dirt where animals walked, and people's feet walked through what animals left behind, and he'd be laid down in this hot, dirty, nasty ground to beg. Where did he go when he had to use the bathroom? Right there. This man was covered in dirt and his own filth, and he had no ability to care for himself. He couldn't work. He had no home of his own. He was a beggar in a wretched, wretched state for 40-plus years. Now, I don't know if you guys know this about me, but when I was born, when I, the day I was born, I came out lame. Did you guys know that? Did I ever tell you that? But you did, too. You just didn't know it. What were we apart from Christ? We were spiritually lame. We were spiritually dead. Isn't that what, isn't that what the Bible tells us? That we were covered in the filth of sin and helpless and hopeless and unable to do anything for ourselves and nothing pleasing to God. We were wallowing in filth. Far more disgusting than the physical state this man lived in. Far more helpless and hopeless. He could beg for alms to survive the day. We could do nothing to right our situation. We were all lame. That's what the Bible tells us. But don't we forget that? See, this man, it's not like he would get up one day and like, you know, try to stand up and just collapse and say, oh man, I forgot I'm lame. You know, it wasn't as if all of a sudden 
he just decided he was going to jump up and run around. Oh, I forgot those legs don't work. He was daily reminded moment by moment that he was lame. It wasn't something he ever could forget. It was, it was a fact of life. It was a central aspect of his life. But us, don't we often forget that we were, apart from Christ, spiritually lame? It's not a physical ailment. So I ask you this question. Why do we forget? I got an answer. I think the problem is we live in a land of a land of the lame and it becomes normal. Say this guy in Jerusalem changed the changed the population. Let's say it's overwhelmingly lame. So he's laying on the ground and people all over are laying on the ground covered in their own filth and nobody's moving around and they're just covered in junk doing nothing wallowing in just disgust. But it's what everybody does and they start to celebrate it. They start to celebrate lameness. They, they start to uh, make up stories of how wonderful it is to be lame and who stinks more is better off and, and who can do less is, is happier and, and you can acquire these things to enhance your lameness. And there are some people who walk, but they mock the walkers. Oh, look at one of those uppity walkers. Look at them walking. They're better than us. They think they're better than us because they have legs under their feet and they can take care of themselves and clean themselves. Ah, oh, walkers. And little by little, the walkers start to lay down on the ground and pretend they're lame because they want to fit in with everybody else. And before you know it, you have a culture that uh, where lameness becomes normal, acceptable, and desirable. Now, you and I would say that's a ridiculous illustration. Well, you would say that I wouldn't. I came up with it. But the reality is, when we look at it from a physical state, we would think, why would anyone want to be lame? Even if the whole world was lame, but one person wasn't, wouldn't that one person who could walk realize how wonderful it was that they could walk? Why would they lay down on the ground and pretend they were lame? But isn't that what we live in here? And why it's so easy to forget what we were, or, as part from Christ, what we are? Spiritually lame. The world is spiritually lame. The people we interact with day in and day out are spiritually lame. And the, the devil loves that, and he tries to get us to conform through various mechanisms to the lameness. Oh, he says to us, look at those lame people. Look how much fun they're having. Look at those lame people. Look how awesome their lives are. Look at those people wallowing in misery and filth. He uses different terms. You should be like them. Conform to how they are. They have life. Just, just do what they do and you'll be happy. And you know what we say? Nah, okay. Okay, we'll lay down in the filth. Oh, it feels good. Because that's, that's our fallen state. You, you, ever, um, you ever walk into a room that has a stink? You know, I remember in high school we had a... a, a, a well, let's just say, there was a student in one of my high school classes who just flat stunk. And we used to always try to open the windows, and the teacher would make us close them. By the end of class, it didn't stink. You got used to the stink, you know? You ever have that experience? Some, sometimes you're in a stink room, and then you get used to the stink, and the room don't stink, so it's okay, until you get a breath of fresh air. Well, our fallen state is a stank state, and we're used to the stank state, and the fresh air smells a little off to us, and we're not used to the fresh air, so we sometimes like to go back to the stank state. God gave us the olfactory senses, in a spiritual sense, to, to smell the stank. But you've got to whiff the fresh air to realize the stink stanks, because if you sit with a stink and stank too long, you get used to the stink. And then you forget that you stank. You got me there? 
That's some deep theology. It's like Paul's I do, do, do section of Romans. That's my stink, stink. We so often forget because we fail to allow God to remind us of what we were and what we've become. Isn't it so easy to conform to this world? From, from the youngest ages through middle schooling and high schooling and college into adulthood, even into late adulthood, we have a part of us that wants to conform to the lame stinkers. Because there are so many lame stinkers, we're convinced that they got it. But guys, we're walkers. We're not supposed to be back on the ground. So we need to remember, and I think that's one of the reasons this is here for us, is that apart from Christ, we were all lame, helpless, hopeless, lost, wallowing in filth. And we have to remember that if we're going to walk well before God. The next one. There's a reason that you have to go with all the same letters. I don't know what it is in an outline. It's just some sort of obsessive-compulsive problem. But loose. So, the man's lame, and then we see Peter and John about to go into the temple, and he, the lame man, asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. This man was loosed from his lameness. Verse 16, if you go ahead to where we'll be next time. 3.16, it says, And his name, by faith in his name, him being Jesus, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. This man was loosed or healed from his lameness by faith in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, you know that verse? You're saved by grace through faith. you saved from what? Spiritual lameness. This man received a physical healing through spiritual faith in Christ. We receive a far greater spiritual healing through faith in Christ. Yet there's that part of us that says, well, his team's a little bit bigger than mine, a little bit better than mine. It's not. It's not even close. This man went from physical lameness to physical ability. We went from eternal death to eternal life. We just happen to live in this small period between birth and eternity. And we forget that it goes by like that, and this is preparation for where we're going. For those who are going to hell, it's an opportunity in present grace to not have to go there and to be able to receive eternal life. And for those of us who have received eternal life, it's a way to get up out of the filth and walk for God's glory before a lost world so he might use us. Let's digress for one second here, and then I'll finish this off. Peter walked up to this man and said, In the name of Jesus, I command you to rise and walk. You ever seen a healing service? You know, the people come up on the crutches and, and the, the healer lays his hands on them and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to walk or to hear or to see or to whatever. What do you do with those? Is that ever real? Do we have a, a uh, biblical mandate upon which that we can command sickness or, or illness out of a person in Jesus' name? What do you do? Let's say, let's say that I come back next week and I'm like, so you guys, listen, 
I went up to a homeless man down in Philly and I tried this out. And he got up and walked. What do you do with that? Do you say praise God or pastor? Uh... It doesn't Can I make it even more difficult? Can the devil heal people in Jesus' name? Read Matthew closely. Look around chapter 6 or 7. People say to Jesus, We cast out demons and healed people in your name. And Jesus says to them, What? Away from me, I never knew you. You see something there? We have a very tricky thing here. Read the Bible very closely. I'm not saying the gift of healing has ceased, not in the least bit. I'm saying I'm looking at an apostolic healing here, which is very different from what Jesus calls us to today. There are people, uh, Mary Baker Eddy, you know who that is, Christian Science founder? She, she healed people. It is attested and affirmed that she healed people through mental telepathy. These were not shams. She actually healed people. She didn't believe in Jesus. So how did she do it? It was demonic. So how did the devil cast out himself though? With a demonic type of possession. A demon is just a fallen angel who's under the authority of, of the devil, the archangel who you know. They're sovereignly allowed to be under his control, under the overarching control of God. What I'm saying with that is. Just because someone heals someone, healings do happen, we can't assume it's from Christ. We can't take a passage like this with an apostolic healing and try to put it into the present context saying, well, I'm a Christian, Peter did it, get up in the name of Jesus, homeless man. Because Jesus doesn't say to us, you have the power to command whatever you want by using my name. He says, whatever you pray in my name, in, in my Father's will, you will receive. So when you are praying for a person for healing, you would pray something more along the lines of, Father, we pray you would heal this person if it would be your will, but we lift them up and pray you would heal them. And there are many instances of God healing people, both spiritually and physically. But as we go through Acts, you will see an apostolic healing has a larger consequence on the back end. As I finish up in that, that looking section at the bottom of your thing, I'll show you something really crazy about why God healed this man, and it wasn't to make people go, whoa! There's something far deeper, but they were missing the New Testament here. Peter was about to preach a sermon. Why would people believe his sermon? How would they know it's from God? They couldn't check it off of the canon of Scripture. God gave them a sign of attestation saying, this is from me. When you see someone get up and walk... These Jews would know. This is either God or Beelzebub. Remember how Jesus was accused of being from the devil because of what he did? These signs are going to either be from the devil or from God. 
Well, when the message says, Jesus is the Christ, what Peter will tell them here, salvation comes only through him, they'll realize, uh, that's probably not from the devil. When we have healings today, it's a very different category. And, and I just want to put this out there, that we need to be very cautious with people who claim to be healers. Don't assume if a healing happens, it's simply from God. We live in a time, you know, we forget we're spiritually lame, right? Or were. We also forget we live in a time of spiritual warfare. The concept of angels and fallen angels and the devil and battling against God, those are like silly, silly fantasies out there, but they're really not. And yes, in our country, I think we have a unique uh, setting of, of spiritual warfare where you don't see the clarity in some other countries because the devil has a very strong hold in different areas of the lives of people in our nation uh, that he doesn't have in other areas where you'll see more. You go to a, a third world country, even into the Islamic world, you will see uh, demonic influences in people's lives that would freak you out. It's real. And what I'm saying is we need to be aware such that when someone like a Mary Baker Eddy performs a healing, we don't go, oh my gosh, that must be from God. Whatever she says must be true. God's affirming that. See what I'm saying? I also suggest that, that these uh, faith healers, when you look at their theology, you see a faultiness to their theology. That there are, I believe there are people that will walk up there who can't hear and can't see and can't walk and leave there with the ability to see, hear, and walk at times, but I think there's probably a large psychosomatic situation involved. You read medical journals, which, which I do in my free time, you'll see that the psychosomatic influence is heavily weighted for a period of time. You take... You take, misdiagnose a person. They go in for some tests. You tell them that the test came back with a very negative result. And all of a sudden, they will start to feel horrible and manifest symptoms. Then you call them back a week later and say, I'm so sorry we gave you the wrong results. You're fine. Well, all of a sudden, they start to feel much better. You, know, you ever seen in a small way? Take your temperature. You don't feel good, you take your temperature. It says 103. You feel really bad all of a sudden. It says 98.6. You're like, oh, okay, I'll be okay. I think at times in those faith healings, I'm going to bring us back to the main flow of the, the sermon, but as we go through Acts, you'll see this. We do not have an apostolic mandate put on us or an apostolic gift put on us today to heal people in Jesus' name. We do have the gift of being able to pray directly to the Father and ask Him that He might heal a person, but they're very different things. But I think we also need to be cautious that if someone claims to have a gift of healing, we should filter through the Word of God what they're claiming to have done and why they're claiming to do it. Because when they say, send your prayer rag and $500 to X and X address and we'll pray for your site to be returned, you might walk with a little caution and might be a little careful what you're dabbling into. Because you really don't want the devil trying to, to do a work on your body either. Let's get back to where we are here. Because I've now hopefully confused you, so you've forgotten everything I've talked about before, and I have a fresh slate. So the man was loosed. He was healed. He was up. He was walking. He was able to, to now work and, and earn money and not sit in his filth and not have to beg and not have to be carried. Now imagine, we were there watching this, imagine a week later we come by and this man is laying back at the beautiful gate covered in filth. And you're like, what happened? He's like, I don't know. Your legs stop working. No, they're fine. Look, look, they're going good. I walked here myself. Why are you laying there? Oh no, it's just I kind of like it. I'm used to it. 
What would you say to him? Pathetic, man. Get up. Your legs work. What do you beg? You don't have to beg. Why? Look at you. Look at you. You're a wreck. Why? How are people going to know what happened to you and why God did this if you're just laying there pretending that you're lame? While we forget that we were lame, don't we sometimes also forget as Christians that we were loosed? Isn't that what we're doing when we start to live like the world? When we start to walk in disobedience, either intentionally or through ignorance before God? Aren't we, in fact, lamed, loosed people who lay back down on the ground? Isn't that the most pathetic place you can be? Someone, I mean, it's bad enough when you're lame and you're on the ground, but to be healed and to pretend you're lame? That's just sad, isn't it? Do you know why I don't think this man laid back down on the ground a week later, or a month later, or a year later? Not just because it was such a cool thing, his legs work. Remember what we looked at last week? What the early church was like? We looked at the content and the character and the consequences. This man, you'll see what he was clinging on to Peter. I'm sure Peter got him hooked up. I'm sure Peter didn't just leave him be. I'm sure he built a relationship with Peter and the brothers and sisters in the church of Jerusalem. And he would meet with people in their homes and he would participate in the breaking of bread and and the teaching of the apostles. And he grew in his faith the way God called him to. He did three essential things. He remembered what he was. It was not hard for this man each day to get up and go, Oh, my word, praise God for my legs. After 40 plus years, that's not hard to remember. He pondered often what he was and what he had become. And number three, he nurtured his faith the way God commanded him to. The little secret is we sometimes think that if we do it our way, it's going to work out well. So God, if I just like, if I read this online daily devotional, if I wear a Christian shirt, and I go to church regularly, I'm going to mature in my faith, and everything will go hunky-dory dairy for me. No, it doesn't work that way. We have to mature in our faith the way God calls us to. And when you go back and listen to the last sermon about the content, the character, and the consequences, if you like. As we do it that way, which I'm sure this man did, he wasn't laying in the ground anymore. He was hopping around praising God. So he was lamed. He was loosed. Got another L there of this page turns. Tell me what it says, guys. Leaping, that's right. So he walked into the temple with Peter. Verse 8 says, And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So he's going in for the hour of prayer in the afternoon. Imagine all the people that are there. Imagine the multitudes of these people who have intentionally denied Christ. So you're going to go pray to God after you've denied the Messiah. That ain't called worship or praise. In fact, those those prayers aren't going to be received in the way they assumed they were going to be received. And then this lame, dirty, filthy guy who didn't get cleaned up beforehand, notice. He comes hopping in, dancing all around. He probably looked like Pigpen from Snoop. You know, dust flying everywhere he went. He's just just praising God everywhere and grabbing onto Peter. Woo-hoo! Praise God! Woo-hoo! And he's probably ruining the decorum of the day. Shh! We're about to pray. Shh! Woo-hoo! He's one of the few who's there praising God. We need to be a praiseful people, and we will be a praiseful people when we remember what we were and what we are and make sure we're not laying in the junk. You know, when, when we sing, I'm as guilty as the next person, sometimes it can get a little bit, Oh, hail the power of Jesus. But when you realize what you were and what you are, you know, I, I think if that guy came walking in, let's say, 
Peter healed him somewhere outside Collegium. He comes walking in. We were probably like, oh, Lord, please don't come back. You stink, right? We've already missed the whole thing. That, that song, he'd be, oh, hell, the power. He, and we'd be like, ooh, he's a little crazy. But he wouldn't care because he's praising God. But you can't fake that stuff. It's so important that we remember what we were and what we are. And he wasn't, notice, he was healed by faith in Christ. Verse 16 tells us, it wasn't just, I like my legs, they feel so good, I can walk everywhere now. No, he was excited because he knew who Jesus was and what Jesus did. The legs were nice, but that's not what he was so excited about. It's not about the gifts, it's about the one who gave the gifts. I think I read that somewhere in the Bible before. Lame, loosed, leaping. Now check this out. Looking. So he's in the temple. He's making a scene. Let there not be light. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So obviously they see a lame man walking like, wow, that's pretty crazy. And there's awe and wonder going on. And Praise God for healing the man. And praise God for the man rejoicing. And you'll see more of this in verse 3. But do you guys see what God really did? Was it really just God healed a man through Peter and he hopped? There's something far deeper here. Now imagine this guy when he was a little kid and his friends were running around. Why, God, why? What did I do wrong? God, why was I born this way? Was I a sinner? Were my parents sinners? What did I do wrong? His friends grow up. They get married. He's laying in the filth. Why, God? Why, why did this have to happen to me? Why, God? Life is so miserable. Why, why, why? 20s and 30s and turns 40. Why, God? This is horrendous. My life stinks. Why, God? What did I do? Why would you let this happen to me? Why did you make me this way? What can I do to fix it? I'm so sorry. Why? 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 And then Peter and John come along. Now there's this passage in Isaiah. You got your tabs handy, Renee? Go to Isaiah 35 and check this out. This lame guy from birth, never walked, couldn't care for himself, couldn't do anything. Well, many, 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 many years before God spoke through a prophet Isaiah. And he spoke in chapter 35 about what would happen when the promised one, the Messiah, came. How would people know that the Messiah had come? In Isaiah 35, verse 6, just that first part, Renee, what does it say? Then the lame man shall leap like a deer. Oh, boy. Then shall the lame man. And as you read on either side of that, you'll see some of the signs of healings that would take place. Why, God? Why? 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 Oh, don't think for a minute. God didn't partially want to say, oh, just hang in there and wait and see. It'll be a few years, but it'll be worth it. Just wait there. It's not hopeless. You're not helpless. You're not lost. I'm not out of control. Watch. Wait. Because your ways are not my ways, nor are my plans your plans. So I won't tell you right now because I'll ruin the surprise. But at just the right time, in just the right place, after many years of what you thought was misery, something incredible is going to happen, and the lame shall leap. Boom! Do you think that man ever thought he was Isaiah 35, 6 in action? This is some lame beggar 
Some good-for-nothing social outcast sitting by the beautiful gate, covered in filth, needing people's money to survive. Do not think for a moment that God had marginalized this man or knew nothing about him. Think of how precious this man was in God's sight. Peter and John, these are, these are apostles. These are heavy hitters. These are the big wigs in church circles, right? I mean, upon you, Peter, shall I build my church. But through the little beggar man shall I declare my church is being built. Now, many people miss that. Peter's going to preach a sermon. But think of all the people either whose eyes were closed to the truth of God's word and didn't understand the leaping that took place, or perhaps in our context, a greater concern is those who are ignorant of God's word and would flat miss it. What if we were there and didn't know Isaiah 35, 6 because, oh, it's just flat boring, we don't read it. And the lame leap, and we don't realize that the Christ had come. What's going on here? Wouldn't that be rather sad? God gave them a clear sign that it was him working. It was a fulfillment of scripture, and Peter would begin to unpack this. But I think, in part, that we see this as a reminder to you and I that significance is not found in what the world declares significance. Significance is found in faith in Christ and waiting in anticipation of what God will do in us and through us. If he could take a lame beggar and do this, if that lame beggar was Isaiah 35, 6 in action, what might you be? What might God desire to do through you? What might God have already done through you? What will God do through you as we move ahead? And the only way we find out is to walk in faith. You see, I don't know that this man ever fully understood that he was Isaiah 35, 6 in action. But isn't it cool to look back? Do you think for a moment he's not praising God in heaven for what God used a wretched, lame beggar like him for? Don't you want to praise God for that too? But the trick is to recognize that you are a wretched, lame beggar, hopeless and helpless apart from Christ. Your choice is to conform to the ways of the world, to lay in filth. Now you're sitting in a stank place, remember, so you're going to have a hard time recognizing the stank. Now when you leave this world, woo, that stank back there. But while you're here, you've got to walk in faith. You've got to trust God that it stinks. Don't conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And maybe you sit there and, and you don't love Jesus, and you say, all right, I kind of get it, but, but I'm still not fully there. So you say to God, God, look. I hear what Pastor's saying. I'm kind of believing it. I'm not fully buying it. I'm confused. God, would you help me out? Because he says, seek him while he may be found. God, will you reveal yourself to me as real and true and, and help me see this if it stank and, and what smells so wonderful? Will you convict me of the fact that I am lame if I am lame and raise me up to walk for your glory? And he will. He's faithful to it. We're truly seeking him. And as we walk in daily obedience to him, as we're reminded of what we are and what we, what we were and what we are. He'll do amazing things through us. So our choice is leave, lay back down in the filth, just like everybody else. It's our natural fleshly attraction. Or, or be prepared to be mocked and ridiculed and, ah, filthy walkers. Oh, because we smell bad to the stank. You ever notice that? The, the kid in my class who stank, I'm sure that person thought that the rest of us stank pretty bad too. But we have the beautiful aroma of God as believers. 
So be prepared. People might mock you. But also understand what you are. Allow God to remind us of it. And I'll give you four things to leave here with, and I'll clamp my mouth shut. It is essential, and I think this is one of the primary reasons Acts 3, 1 through 10 is here. We need to be reminded again and again and again of what we were and what we are because we so easily forget. Number two, we need to daily check our positioning to make sure we are not laying in the dirt pretending we're lame when we're healed, but rather standing on our spiritual feet and using those feet for God's glory in His way. Number three, we need to praise God as we were made to praise Him. Not just for the gifts that He gives us, but for Him Himself, realizing that everything we have is from Him and for His glory and entrusted to us for our joy. Understand that. God made us to rejoice. God loves laughing. God gives us every good gift. Praise Him for that as we go through. You know, from last night, even when you got the cold, praise God for the cold. We'll all get there, not yet. And number four, don't miss this one. Understand God will use us in ways far beyond our ability to comprehend if we will believe and walk in faith. It's not always about what you think he's going to do. It's always far grander than that. So often you have no idea what's going on. I believe in every interaction we're having, there are a thousand consequences we're not even aware of. And if we could glimpse our lives from God's perspective and see what we have done, both good and bad in the past, and the potential we have in the future, we would be flat floored. And we need to rejoice in that, because it's not about the consequences of our actions. It's about walking in daily obedience and seeking to praise God and letting Him use us as He intends, no matter what the cost. A simple little lame beggar, 40 years of why, 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 what should I do, why am I here, does my life even have purpose? That all changed in a moment. Let's learn from that. Let's not, let's not wallow in the whys. Let's rejoice in the what's been done, the what we've become, and what God will do. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for recording this in Scripture. I thank you for the fact that on a real day, in real time, 2,000 years ago, Peter and John, real, live, breathing human beings, average, ordinary, uneducated men, came to pray at the temple. And that there was a man whose name we don't even know, who had turned 40 a bit before, who was lame, who you healed. I wonder, God, how, how the, uh, the 24-hour news cycle might handle this uh, event if it took place today, or if, in fact, we would even see it there. I wonder how we might doubt it or explain it away, and how the, the Discovery Channel might, you know, scientifically disprove it. But God, I thank you for the fact that this real event took place and you've recorded it for us for all time, not just so that we can praise you through what you did through Peter, but so we could be reminded of what you did through Christ in our lives. And I pray, God, you would daily remind us and encourage us and allow us to rejoice, that you would build us up into a people you desire us to be, that you would give us the joy that you intend for us to have, that Holy Spirit, you would empower us to, to live the lives you've called us to before a lame and lost world, declaring not like Peter does, I command you in the name of Christ to rise and walk, but rather going out and say that Jesus loves you and will give you the ability to rise and walk 
But you must recognize that you're lame and in the filth, and that is not where God intends you to be. And God, I pray in our relationships with those who are lame and lost that we would love them enough to pray for them, to interact with them, to seek to reveal your love for them as you work through us in their lives, and to rejoice in the fact that you will use us, and to see you take people today out of the filth, to clean them through the blood of Christ and to put them on their feet as you made them to walk and rejoice you. God, I thank you for the fact that you have raised us up from spiritual death to life. I pray for anyone here who does not know you, that you would open their eyes. I pray that as believers we would walk before them in a way that would reveal you to be true, that we would have the words to answer any questions they might have. But I pray, God, that many, many would come to know you and believe in you through our walking in obedience, through our leaping and praising in all things. And we pray all this in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.